0: This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to independent film. Inside, you'll find tools, tips and tricks vetted by industry professionals, independent films that will inspire your creativity, filmmaking events where you can rub elbows with filmmakers just like you and so much more. The best part of it all, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is go to www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe, and within a few clicks, you'll be part of our newsletter community. Again, that's www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, a free bi weekly newsletter from Chris and Nick at Bonsai Creative. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Banzai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast. And this is an Indie Talk Week. And I have my good friend and guest on this podcast, Roxana Baldovin. Roxana, say hello.
1: Hi, guys. Thank you, Chris, for having me on today.
0: Absolutely. Can we just call you Roxy for the rest of the conversation?
1: Absolutely. I like to say I'm like a like, I don't know if you guys know this, but Robert De Niro, everybody calls him Bobby.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's kind of like my Bobby is Roxy for <laughs> four. <laughs> you, do,
0: you do call yourself the spiritual Spielberg. Yes. As, as well. Is that more aspirational or is that more where you are with your music videos and documentaries no, I, you've shot? Like how do you, where did that come from? What did you, What's the
1: story? <laughs> so that's really interesting because I do believe that in my early days of music videos, I mean, I don't believe you can go on the YouTube comments of my early videos. It was very much like, you know, third eye things and Illuminati. Like I started my career in conscious rap. And so, you know, with that came a lot of crazy theories on my comment sections of my videos, actually for my Doja Cat video, Tia Tamara, someone created a whole 12 minute long video about how we were secretly working for the Illuminati and all this Illuminati symbolism in the video. But I would say it's definitely aspirational because I have not made a feature film yet. That's something I'm working on now. And I think that in my, I think that it's it's aspirational, but it's also uh, where I am in my heart. And I think you have to be at a certain place with yourself before you can release it to the world. So Mm -hmm. I think, and also I think it's something I've always been. Um, But I was talking to my business coach, Danielle Bigby, and she was talking about, when we were talking, she said to me, you know, where do you see yourself? What kind of films do you want to make? And, you know, I want to make spirituality mainstream. You know, like I think that, I really like alliterations. So spiritual Spielberg, but more like (laughs) in the realm of Christopher Nolan. You know what I mean? Because he he takes these like crazy concepts that are, you know, bigger than we are, but he somehow makes them blockbusters. So, you know, I want to talk about past lives and I want to talk about, you know, communicating with the afterlife, but not in some like in a way that doesn't make you seem kooky, in a way that's like it's just something we can't understand, but it's something that's absolutely out there.
0: Yeah, and w- there's a lot to dig into there. So, and we are going to definitely dig into that because there are these weirdos that think that Doja Cat is like a devil worshiper and there are all these weird things going on. And they're just, I always view it as like these are just people that are actually afraid. They're like afraid of everything. And, and so, because think about it this way. Like, Doja Cat is, I think, what, five foot two?
1: Yeah, she's like a shorty. Five, she,
0: she's so tiny. Yeah. So what if she were a devil worshiper? Let's just say it. Like, what if she worshipped the devil? Then what?
1: Right. Then what? Okay. I don't
0: know. Nothing. Like, is, is <laughs> all of a sudden she have, the, like, the, the nuclear codes? Exactly. Is all of a sudden she, like, uh, going to grow into, like, uh, like Belzebub and, like, come and, and, and eat your head? No. Doja Cat's a tiny little thing. Like... I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm six foot three, two forty. So I'm not afraid okay. of Doja Cat, but maybe somebody is.
1: Okay, I'm I'm five two, like Doja Cat. So I'm um, but yeah. I'm not a devil worshiper. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> but I do admire the artistry she's been putting out. So yeah. you know, and I think that um, it's interesting. You know, like Little Nas X made this video, "Call Me by Your Name." Yeah, and that's like one of my favorite recent videos. I think it's incredibly done. But people on the internet were going crazy about that video. They were like, it's not art. That's so satanic. What is he teaching the kids? And it's like, you know, these concepts have been talked about. Like Doja Cat made a video, Paint the Town Red. Um, And it was based on her own artwork that she was creating. And when I looked at that artwork, it looked like what, you know, Bruegel was doing in the 1500s, 1600s. Like the concept of the devil in art has been around, you know, for very, very low since, since the since, beginning of
0: time, since Egypt.
1: Exactly. So it's nothing new to create art around the devil. I think she's just kind of trolling her fans, you know? But yeah. I will say that I, you know, we I was definitely at the forefront of her career uh, pr- trajectory, you know, like awesome. when things started um, changing for her. So it's really amazing to see her growth and where she's gone with it.
0: Yeah, no, no question about it. And before we get away from it too far, let me rewind and do my job here and make sure the audience knows who the heck you are. <laughs> who is this woman who's at the forefront of, of Doja Cat's career? So uh, if you don't mind just uh, telling us, uh, you know, what we might know you for and and what you're working on now.
1: All right. I am a music video and commercial director. You might know me for some of my music videos, such as the Tia Tamara Doja Cat, uh, Little Uzi Vert P's and Q's. Um, Nikki Jam Uchiwala, if you're in the Latin market. Most recently, I was on Project Greenlight on HBO Show. Issa Rae picked me out of 6,000 women. She chose 10 women to pitch a million dollar movie to her, Gina Prince, Bythewood, and Kamal and Johnny for the first time. And so that was a really cool career accomplishment for me. But yeah, my work has gotten over a billion views. I'm in the Billion View Club on YouTube. Thank so you. that's pretty cool.
0: I love all that. That is so impressive. And um, I hope we get a chance to just cover a lot of this in the time that we have. But I do want to start with something that may not be obvious to the audience, which is that you're an immigrant from <laughs> from Poland. Yes. I just came back from Poland. I spent really? uh, over a week there. I went to Warsaw, Krakow, and Auschwitz.
1: Wow, okay. And,
0: yeah. And so like it was amazing, first of all, just how nice everybody is. Krakow like far exceeded my expectations like I was like oh my god like people are nice the nightlife is crazy now the Russians own all the strip clubs up. but you know <laughs> 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 like, like once it hits a certain hour uh in downtown Krakow then yeah it starts to change a little gets bit in it, wasn't, <laughs> it, it wasn't bad it, yeah it wasn't bad at all like whatsoever. I went, uh, it's weird. I was, uh, I got drunk at an Irish bar in Krakow. So I got drunk at an Irish bar in Poland and, uh, ended up karaokeing Bismarcky, but, uh, what's, <laughs> what's that? Uh, just, a friend? just friends, just friends. Yeah
1: yeah. 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 I know. I know. I could go karaoke with you right now. a cappella on that one.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had Roxy, I had the entire <laughs> bar just just bouncing.
1: That's just bouncing.
0: fire. Yeah. And I don't even, rem- I barely remember it, but it was, <laughs> <Top> <laughs> <post>. <laughs> but it was, but it, it was a great night in a great city. So talk to us about Poland.
1: Talk to you about Poland. Well, that's a loaded question, but I guess.
0: And making a- it to Brooklyn, I suppose, which is where you're at now, right?
1: Yeah. No, right now I'm in LA in Hollywood. Oh, you're in
0: LA. You were, you went to move to Brooklyn and then moved I, to LA. Well,
1: right? I was born in Brooklyn. My I'm first generation. My mother is an oh, immigrant. got it. But, um, I did grow up very like you know intertwined in two cultures, and you know my actually I would say three to four cultures really, because um my mom was born in Ukraine, but she grew up in Poland oh. um and then my dad was Italian, and so you know it was but he was like real Brooklyn Italian mobster type, you know <laughs> it was like <laughs> there was a lot going on in my household, yeah, but yeah, Poland is a really interesting place my my parents actually live there now. Um, and, uh, you know, so I go there a couple times a year, at least once a year, really. It, it, it's really interesting being, um, a first generation person because I feel like everybody has a different, um, relationship to the country of their parents, you know, mm. like I speak fluent Polish. I could have said I speak fluent Russian, but at this point I understand fluent Russian and my Russian is pretty shitty. Um, <laughs> if I'm being honest, I speak better Spanish than I do Russian now, but I was only half an immigrant, but there's some people that, you know, both their parents are from one place and they don't even speak the language. So, you know, I I credit my my mom, but I also credit myself because, you know, I didn't really like being around my family and like not being able to talk to them, like having them like, you know, talk. And then I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. You know, I also I so back to Brooklyn, I grew up in um, a place called Brighton Beach, which is the Mm -hmm. largest um, influx of immigrants from the former Soviet Union. So the uh, USSR broke up in 1991. I was born in 92. And so you know, a lot of my friends were either like, you know, their parents just came to the States from Georgia, Kazakhstan, Armenia, whatever in like 1989. And Or they came in like 1998 and my friends were like, you know, born there, came when they were younger. And so I grew up around everybody around me, spoke Russian, was like, you know, my boyfriend came to my neighborhood like two months (laughs) ago. He was like, this looks like 1980s in Yugoslavia. (laughs) So I really grew up in like, I grew up in Russia, basically. I mean, now it's like not so crazy too, because it's like, my mother's from Ukraine but, you know, like I speak Russian because the th- the the conflict of Ukraine and Russia, it's like that culture was erased. You know what I mean? Like that, like yeah. the culture of Ukrainian, like it's really interesting talking about this 1991 thing, because kids that were born over there and live there from 1991 onwards, they speak Ukrainian. There's more nationalism there, whereas anyone that moved to Brooklyn or moved anywhere. But I talk about where I'm from because we're all still very much like. You go back there and nothing's changed. I mean, now it's more like Uzbeki and Turkish, but like it's still mm. of that part of the world, you know?
0: Right, right, right.
1: But like, I went to Georgia in 2017 and I was so excited to like speak Russian. They don't speak Russian, they speak better English. They speak Georgian over there, you know? So it's yeah. really interesting. Like, I think the politics of um, that part of the world is really complex and it's such a diverse part of the world where people hear the word Russian and they think like white and blonde and it's like, No, Russia is 75% in Asia. So, you know, it's like, um, yeah, my culture is a very interesting thing in my life. Also, because my mother grew up in Poland because the Jews were exiled from Ukraine. And then they were exiled from Poland to America, which is why I was born in New York. People don't really talk about that. They think, like, you know, the war ended in 1945, but it didn't, you know. So that's my long-winded story and my... Dang, I thought that I shut off my iPhone. Sorry about
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. And you make a really great point as well about about just the area and the diversity of the area. Like half the people speak Russian. There's people who speak Ukrainian. Everybody speaks English, which kind of speaks to America's hegemony and sort of power. You know, half of my family lives in Fishbach, Germany. So I'm my mom's black. My dad's German. He's born in Germany. Is american American? Yeah, yeah, American black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was adopted because um he was given he was in the Kinderheim. Um this was like right after World War Two. My Oma in Germany like couldn't afford to have two children because she already had one. None of the men stayed around.
1: Uh like <laughs> my Crazy. grandfather was
0: like a French mercenary, like crazy guy apparently i don't even know that like we had similar dads i guess or mm-hmm. your dad my grandfather i should say right um in terms of, you know <laughs> what i mean
1: what <laughs> you, know, a, you know a, what, what i'm saying a, what's the Kinderheim?
0: oh it's an orphanage
1: okay okay that makes sense yeah
0: so orphanage got so uh was adopted from there brought to the united states and they changed his name uh to an american name like you know so he's born you know Benovek. So, it's kind of a similar situation. I mean, there's Ashkenazi Jew uh, uh Jewish there or um just like basically anybody that that came from that area and had to flee after the war or mm-hmm. during the war. So, just just understanding like going over there to visit family and being in those areas, you realize like every just about everybody speaks English. Mm -hmm. And if you come over here, like we just don't speak everybody's language. We just don't like people would find out that you spoke four languages pretty well and just consider you like a savant.
1: I know it's they people do look at me like that. And then I'm like, this is so basic. I want to speak like nine languages. I want to be a polyglot. Like, and the more you like delve deep into that, the more you're like, like, Cause I recently realized, you know, like, oh, you speak a couple, a couple Slavic languages. You could understand any Slavic language. And so like, I've been watching tennis lately and like Novak is from Serbia. Right. But like right, right, right. the signs that the, that the fans say in Serbian, like I'll test myself sometimes too. Like I'll like read his Instagram captions and then I'll like go to see translation. And I'm like, wow, I understood a lot of this, you know? Um, and so I just feel like, you know, once you speak two languages, you just speak 10 languages. Cause like with Spanish too, it's like, I understand Portuguese. I understand Italian. I mean I wouldn't say I speak those languages but like you know you can get by and like speak back to them in Spanish and it's the same thing with Polish and Russian like I had a whole conversation with this dude he was speaking Ukrainian and I'm speaking like a mixture of Polish and Russian and it's like there's only like a few words that were like what'd you say you know
0: Yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: So, I So you you're, you're
0: on nine. your way to nine
1: I'm on my way to nine languages fascinate me though I I love linguistics I was going to study linguistics in college but it's like shout out to anyone who has done that cuz I don't know what you do with a linguistics degree <laughs>
0: Shout out Noam Chomsky. You 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 turn into Noam Chomsky. That's Does what you he do. speak
1: a lot of languages?
0: Well, he's a linguist.
1: Oh, I didn't even know. That. I mean, yeah. I know he's like a philosopher, but I guess okay. There you go. You learn a lot about people. That makes sense.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty okay. sure. I, you know, but an um, author and all those all those things.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, so you know, it, it it's 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 great. And well, also, I should just say, and you can confirm this with me uh, or for me and for the audience
1: mm-hmm
0: children of immigrant parents tend to be very studious like there's a there's a a demand put on your schoolwork
1: absolutely no a thousand percent i mean you get an a minus it's like what happened in the minus yeah 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. i honestly like I, um i i didn't even think not going to college was an option you know yeah. what i mean like college was like you have to go to college and then like by my senior year, like I already started directing videos and stuff. And I mean, I stayed in college because you we know, have one year left, whatever. But I was like, I could have dropped out right then and there. And I think now and it's funny because now I think my mom like sees it more. But it's like the more, most successful people I know never went to college. You know, it's like, yeah,
0: it's a weird kind of paradox, right? Like you, but it's weird because like, uh, like in the research coming up to this conversation, like you're a person who has like incredible self-belief. And, yep. and you don't let fear like get in your way at all. And I think that's something, even though those can, those can be cliches at this point in, in the zeitgeist uh, <laughs> and, and in the world, it's like it's still something that really gets in people's way every single day. And I think a lot of times people that don't need college will just go because that's what they're supposed to do. And it's mm-hmm. safer and people would rather I have guy friends that like maybe won't say it out loud, but I know for sure, for sure, we'll pick safety over freedom every single time.
1: 100%. 1000%. And I think
0: immigrants don't think that way. I met a girl at the Fayetteville Film Festival. Shout out to Cassie Self and the Fayetteville Film Festival. And her name uh, is Diana Campos. And she is a NYU graduate. Right? So not like Harvard, but certainly not, you know, Crappenberg State. Like it's not <laughs> like a Crappenberg
1: State. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's, it's not it's not like a crap college, right? It's like a very good college. Her father and mother were chicken catchers. Do you know what a chicken catcher is?
1: I, I can imagine it's someone that puts chickens in cockfights.
0: No, that's a good oh. guess, though. Okay, these are these are people who are hired by private companies, taken as illegal immigrants. Oh my uh, god,
1: not people. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, from,
0: from, from one area into another area. And, and their job, they're basically on the bottom of a hierarchy in the poultry industry. So let's say Walmart is at the top of that hierarchy, right? Right. At the very, very bottom of that poultry hierarchy is a chicken catcher. And their job is basically literally to wrangle wild, wild chickens and yes. like, and, and they're all undocumented. They're all illegals. And that was her dad. So how the hell in one generation did she make it to NYU? Like I, when she was, she, so she was pitching for me and I was like almost about to cry in the pitch because not because the pitch was necessarily like the greatest pitch in the world, but it was this idea that like, how the hell are you standing here in front of me? How did you do this? Like, how did you like your, your dad, caught chickens like and is as ill and illegal had no access to rights healthcare, and you made it to nyu and graduated
1: exactly that's on
0: some immigrant child shit right there
1: 100 that's like you know what i mean yeah no it's like uh it's like you feel like you ha- you owe it to your parents for, like, bringing you to this country. And, like, you know, granted, like, with my family, it's like they were forced to come to this country. But right. either way, you know, I mean, I grew up with my mom always being like, America is the best country in the world. And, like, you know, she like obviously she knows there's, there's some politics and everything. But, like, to her, it's like the freedom she was experiencing here or, like, the world she was experiencing here coming from a communist regime it's like you know, her first year in America, she gained fifty pounds, and like she would hate <laughs> that. But it's like it's insane. She had never like seen that amount of bread before, like you know, like ham <laughs> and cheese, and like all these things, you know. And like it's insane to think about that, you know. Um, and yeah. it's crazy because you know my mom came here in nineteen sixty nine, so like it was like the summer of love, like Jimi Hendrix and all the pot mm. in the world coming yeah. from from communism to that. It's like such a crazy shift you know like uh what paradox. a life
0: flip kudos to yeah, your, that, mom. That'll Shout be out to your mom
1: that'll be a film for sure yeah,
0: and, and we need to get into films i just wanted to touch on that with you because i i mean how many people like you do i get to actually chat to about this kind of stuff and just to put a pin in it it's like i, I don't want to be dramatic but it, there is a sadness that i get when i think about how many people here take that take america for granted like, take the opportunities that the country affords you for granted simply because they don't understand what it's like other places.
1: Exactly. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of, I was one of those, you know, and I'm still sometimes like, meh, but at the same time, <laughs> I, rec- <laughs> I recognize a lot that like, I, I really, cause you know, when you're an immigrant child, you're like, as I said before, you're straddled between two cultures, right. Or like mixed I consider myself a mixed culture kid. I don't even think I'm a bi-culture kid, but the point is that it's like, you know, when you have these other cultures, it's like, you don't really feel fully American. Like I'd go to college and like, they'd make fun of me because I had two pillows on my bed. Cause you know, Americans have like 16 pillows on their bed and it's like, <laughs> what do you have 16 pillows for? You only need two. Um, yeah. and like little things like that, like they would like, um, make fun of me because like to them, I wasn't fully American. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but then, you know, obviously if I go to Poland, it's like, oh, your accent's so cute, you know? Yeah. And so it's a like, I definitely feel like a mixture, but I'm grateful for having those experiences of both because you, you are able to, you know, weave through and see the different experiences. So, and I feel like you're able to, I feel like I relate the most to children of immigrants, honestly. Like, it doesn't matter where in the world their families are from, but it's like you said, it's like, oh, immigrant children are, are more studious. Right. And it's like little, there's like so many little things that are like compare that you can compare and relate to more with immigrant children than
0: non yeah. you know and so. it's, it's not the same but it, your story reminds me of my sister michelle a lot where you know in high school the white girls didn't accept her because she's basically the black girl in the group and <laughs> we're down here in the south you know for those listening that don't know this podcast i am in beautiful nashville tennessee and it's
1: just in nashville
0: that na- you've come back and and uh you know, you you and your boyfriend come through, you and your mom come through. I'll give you a key to the city. I'll take you around, show you where to go. I love it. Or at least text you and tell you where to eat. Um, <laughs> you know that that the New York Times or some other magazine didn't tell you to, right. to eat. Um, and then she couldn't hang with the black girls because the black girls thought she was like this light skin sort of like like her hair wasn't right for them. She ended up marrying a Laotian dude. <laughs> Wow! So, and all her whole, all of her friend groups were like her main friend group growing up were all Laotians and Korean people.
1: That's so. That interesting. was
0: the group. That was the group that would accept her. And right. my, you know, my brother-in-law is is a La- Laotian dude, so um, super they cool. By the way,
1: beautiful babies.
0: I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> I need to. I need to probably introduce one of them to you. She has similar aspirations to you. So. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, one one hundred percent. I want to talk about. Project Greenlight, because you mentioned that before. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I think that's a lot of people's dream to be able to audition for that and then be picked. I think there's 6,000 people or more that come out for that and, you know, pitch for that. So can you share what your pitch was? And <laughs> and can you give us an update on like where you're at with it right now?
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I was not, so basically the way Project Greenlight works is that um, they picked 10 women and then uh, it goes down to one. So I was only in okay. one episode. Um, we were, you know, which was still like, you know, that experience took over basically so awesome. all of them. Yeah, it. Yeah. Like, honestly, like I've never really won an award before or anything. Like I'm still waiting for that VMA. So, you know, just to be chosen, like I had no connections, no strings, nothing at all. Um, I was the only music video director that was chosen. Everyone else was like a narrative filmmaker of some sort.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, you know, just to be chosen and to go through all of that was definitely like an affirmation of the universe to me. Yeah. Um, so, Project Greenlight used to be a show with uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon where they chose uh, 10 directors, but it was always men,
0: mm-hmm. mostly
1: white men. So that's mm-hmm. why they brought it back, you know, with only women Issa Rae, uh, Kuman and Johnny, and Gina, Gina did um, Love and Basketball, and then she re- most recently did The Women King. But that experience for me, so it's funny. My audition tape, actually, I did play on you know being a world traveler and being an immigrant. I was in Colombia. Uh, visiting my friends, and because um, you know they they, they kind of just want to get a sense of your personality when you are auditioning, yeah. and so I made my audition tape. Uh, my audition tape is actually still on my Instagram on a reel because I was like, "Tag Project Greenlight to pick me." Um, but I was in Colombia, and you know, I was just like, when I am not working, I like to be traveling the world, and um, you know, I showed myself in all these different places because my my real dream too. You know, you talked earlier about no fear, and it's really interesting because fear you all the time like you might think that you're you don't have fear and then you're like oh fuck wait there's another thing that's happening and like limiting self-beliefs are always kind of like in your head even if the world may not see them you know you see people at the top all the time and they're like scared of things so it's really interesting but yeah my my dream is really to be like an anthony bourdain you know like a Mm -hmm. travel host and when I was on Project Greenlight, um, even though I didn't win, I was the girl that had like the most screen time on my episode. Um, and so afterwards, um, a bunch of producers came up to me and they were like, you need to be hosting more. You're such a good on-camera talent. Da-da-da-da-da. And I guess like I had known that before, but I wasn't really going after it. Once the directing thing kicked off, I kind of just like went straight with directing and kind of like put everything else aside which I think is good in some ways because it is important to focus on one thing but at the same time it's like you know there is an ability to focus on one thing and still be doing other things slowly and now I'm doing it so basically uh, a big lesson for me out of that you know I filmed um Two episodes, two different. Um, I did one. My Poland one is on my YouTube. Where in the world the Senora Directora? Because mm-hmm. uh, my friend Fernando, um, he was he was not a friend at the time. At the time, he was just a fan on the internet, and he was in London, and he saw that I was in Poland, and he was like, "Hey, I want to come out to Poland and shoot you," and uh, I was like, "Okay," and he just wanted to talk about you know directing stuff. And I was like, well, if you're coming to Poland, we're making this a travel show. And so (laughs) that is online. Um, I also did – I have five episodes in Egypt that are coming out soon. So I'm excited about that as well. That's still being edited. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I definitely want to be doing more hosting stuff for sure. Um, The actual process of filming with Project Greenlight was crazy. Because, uh, so basically, uh, for three days, they locked us in Universal Studio in the hotel at Universal Studios. Yeah. And you're not allowed to leave at all. Oh, you wow. Have, you have your um, lav mic on you at all times. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen the Robert, the Jinx, the Robert Durst murder show on HBO. I
0: have. That was amazing.
1: So, you know how they caught him? Because in the yeah, bathroom. In the was-
0: bathroom. Yeah.
1: literally i went to the bathroom and they wouldn't let me take my thing off and i was like this is how they caught him like that shit is real like that was insane to me
0: so well people always say that roxy that like oh they, they caught him because they always say they called him because he had his love mic on and was confessing in the bathroom while he was taking a yeah. piss or whatever and i always i looked at that and thought you know that is a simple way to put it But the real trick they pulled, the real David Blaine they pulled on him was that they left that love mic on all the time. And so it allowed him to forget that it even existed. It's the way that, like, you go out to the world and you just stop caring that there are cameras on every telephone pole. Absolutely. And you just literally forget that you're being filmed doing everything right Mm -hmm. or like when somebody commits a crime on ig and they just forget that the internet is forever
1: it's insane because
0: you're just so used to it you're just on there all the time and nothing ever comes of anything and then you do something right like i think so that's really how they got him is they just made it where that microphone was part of his life right so he walked he walked to the bathroom why wouldn't he
1: when I saw that, I was like, wow, those producers must have been like, like when they found that clip, they were like, you know, oh, like
0: I just want Emmy. <laughs>
1: literally, like, crazy to Emmy.
0: So, yeah, so they wouldn't let you take it off, which is weird. Like, like, is there like a penalty if you would have said, hey, I'm going to well, the restroom, chill out? No,
1: because I mean, the okay. girl that ended up winning Miko Winbush, I mean. She was, uh, you know, she throughout the experience, not when we were just all there, but I'm saying like, uh, if you watch all of Project Greenlight, you know, the producers were getting really mad at her because she kept on taking it off and she was <laughs> having meetings without them and stuff. So, yeah. you know, I just, I was abiding by the rules, like a, a good immigrant girl. <laughs> um,
0: Nothing wrong. All in the yeah. Normal.
1: But no, that experience uh, was insane. Shout out to all these people that are on like Love is Blind and The Bachelor and things like that because- <laughs> Those three days where I was um, filmed nonstop and it was about my career, Mm -hmm. like I had never felt so exposed in my life. Also because like the stress and anxiety of like not knowing what they're going to end up using of you.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know what's going going in the edit.
1: And then you're like, you don't know how they're going to paint your picture. And like, I'm just naturally a confident person and- so, you know, they kind of painted me out to be like a Kanye type, which I mean, there's mm-hmm. something wrong with well, I mean, now, maybe he's a little problematic, but like overall how he felt about his artistry, like he had every right to feel that way about his artistry, you know, like right. In, right. in the easy documentary when he's like banging on the door, playing all falls down and they're like, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. <laughs> kind of like, after, so after I left the experience, I was like, F- like, are they gonna like, cause so the girl that um, won her mom died, right? Mm-hmm. And the story was a mom, mom and um, daughter story, and so I had found out that her mom died. Like you know, not so not she didn't she obviously she died like within the year of the filming, and so I found out that her mom died, and then my dad had my dad died too, right? And so when I when she won, um, they were like, oh, do you have anything to say? And I like start you know I was I got emotional because I was like, oh, her mom definitely you know made this happen for her. You know, it was her mom that did this. But I was like, oh, my God, are they going to make my tears seem like I'm like sad and jealous because she won when it's like I just got emotional because I was like, wow, her mom really gave this to her. You know, um, yeah. I don't even remember what ended up in the cut now, to be to be honest. Not,
0: yeah. Now everybody has to go watch it.
1: Everybody has to go. And com- watch it. And, and um, comment,
0: comment below.
1: Yeah. Uh, you, you know, don't meet your heroes. If you're on YouTube. Don't meet your heroes. I don't know if you should use this or not, but I'm going to say it and you tell me what you think. Um, but honestly, like. It was really sad uh, meeting – having what Issa Rae said about me was a little upsetting to me oh, just yeah. because, you know, she was someone that – I'm doing a TV show about my uh, – not about my spy. I'm writing a TV show right now and, uh, you know, it's loosely based on my life and my experiences and being a music video director and being a woman and all these things. And, uh, you know, so I used uh, – Insec- I studied Insecure for like a year before even getting on the show, just like as a basis of like, you know, it's similarities to my show, whatever. And then, you know, the first thing she said about me on camera was she reminds me of one of those people that when you ask them what they want to be when they're younger, they're just like famous. And it was like, so (laughs) because I'm like, number one, Isa, you've put yourself in everything you've ever made. You didn't want to be famous. Number two, it's like, you know, I thought it was a show that was championing women. And then like, you see a woman, like to me, my whole thing is like, I want everyone to feel confident in themselves. You know, like I'm not out here thinking I'm better than anyone. I want you to think that you're the best version of you and me being confident in me. I hope that inspires you to be confident in you, but she took my confidence and kind of made it more of like a, Oh, she's so full of herself type thing. But it's like, Like you said earlier, having self-belief, like if you don't believe in yourself, how can anyone else believe in you, you know? So I feel like having self-belief is super important and it was a little upsetting to me like how they twisted my self-belief and made it more of like a, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, like an arrogance thing because I think you can take the most negative angle or POV on on who, you know, you are Mm -hmm. and say those things, but you could also flip it and say, no, Roxy just has a, a, an abundance mindset. Thank
1: you. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Like I can win. You can win. She can win. Like, we all like can it's eat. an abundant world. Like we all can go do our thing. It's not like, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, Funny People with Adam Sandler. Yes. Where, a while ago. Yeah. Is. It's like all those people in the house, you know, had this sort of paranoia and cynicism about their ability to make it. And they so that in turn, they all were just kind of, Undercutting each other and competing with each other to see because they felt like only one of them can make it. And that's just not really how the world works. Now, now what I have seen though is where you have a lot of people who think that they deserve to have a certain outcome and haven't earned it. So, you know, I have been in that situation where I'm around a group of people and there's somebody who just isn't working every day. They're just not, or don't have good taste. Like they just Mm -hmm. can't buy that. Like either you have good taste or you don't. And like you, you, you connect or you don't, you know, we just had Glenn, Glenn Ginsburg on, who's the president of Q media. He works with all these, you know, influence uh, influencers on YouTube to market films, feature films. So he does like these giant feature films and sort of gets influencers like Mr. Beast to talk about them organically Mm -hmm. in their shows and he was like you know it's a real talent to be able to just get on camera and captivate you know, a million people exactly. like that's not just a thing everybody can do and it, there's a skill to that and it's so nuanced that you can't go take a course on it and it's just one of those taste things again like you just you're either somebody people look at and don't want to turn off or or you're not mm-hmm. and and so i think that's happened but in general if you said five people live in a house, they all have great taste. They all work equally hard on their craft and they all have real talent. Then all five of them are going to make it. Exactly. You know, it's the premise so, of your
1: podcast, right? The, everybody's yeah. on the path of making it for themselves.
0: That's right. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of a double entendre because, you know, when this podcast started, it was just me going around to film festivals. Cause I'm just like you. I, I went to school for our, for journalism. Really? Um, yeah. So I have a journalism degree in mass, uh, mass communications. And, Where did you go to uh, school? Middle Tennessee State University. Okay. So fun trivia, largest university in the state of Tennessee. So, okay. So larger than UT Knoxville and um, in terms of uh, enrollees. So my journalistic brain was like, let me just walk around and stick this pe- recorder in people's face and just ask them, what does it mean to you to make it? And most people replied, I just want to pay my bills doing my art. And, you know, at the time I was just very accepting of that answer. And I think I've come to find that maybe 80% of them want a little bit more than that. Maybe 90%. Like it's a little bit more than that. They don't want to just like get by paying their bills, doing their art. They also kind of want to be recognized for doing great art. They also want to be rich and maybe they also want to be famous. So I think that making this podcast was like, okay, you can make it and get all those things, the money, the fame, the awards. But, you, but to do that, you have to make it. So you have to know the technical, like right. how to use this camera, which is a nice segue to asking you about how you got started in music videos. Because I think for a lot of people listening, they're like, yo, you worked with G-Eazy. You worked with Doja Cat. You've worked with Snoop Dogg. You've worked with Wiz Khalifa right like you've shot videos for them that is the dream like how do i get started doing that and so i am curious how you got started in that and then also how you picked up the technical part of it like controlling a set as a director knowing what shots you want uh, knowing what look you want right. uh, lighting um everything
1: so it's well, two things it's really interesting because number one I felt what you said on a visceral level just now without making a thing because that's a realization I had. I mean, I've always wanted to like be big and be like a rock star in the industry for sure. But I feel like I did get pretty complacent without even realizing it of like, oh shit, I'm paying my bills completely off my art. Um, But then I woke up one day and I was like, wait, I want to make movies. And if I don't start doing that now, I'm – which I'm super grateful and I love music videos and I would never bash them at all. But I'm just like, if I don't start making films, nobody's going to make my stories for me. I'm just going to be like in this thing. And so I think the optics of it are like, oh shit, she's so successful. She's worked with Snoop Dogg. And like, yeah, I think in some ways I'm, I am successful, but is that the level of success I want to be in? No, there's levels of success to it. You know, right, to, answer right. your, to answer your question though, I think I, I, maybe won the geographical lottery in the sense that I grew up in Brooklyn. And so, you know, in Brooklyn, I feel like a lot of people are inherently creative, and there were rappers that needed videos. Um, So the first video I ever made got 12 million views, um, and that was, like, not – I didn't know. I mean, I'm credited as DP in that. Yeah. Which, like, I mean – yeah, I don't even like. It's so funny to maybe it's imposter syndrome, but I'm like, it was a Mark II, you know, 5D camera. I don't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like this was like TVT, you know. Um, but there's there's a few things to it. It's like number one, you know, I met G Easy at a concert, like as in he was watching the concert. Um, it was turnstile. Uh, I saw G eazy in the crowd, and I was like, it's funny because a boy ditched me that night. And oh, yeah. um, I met my boyfriend through g So it's really funny how the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so upset that this dude ditched me. Um, and the minute I saw g I was like, nope, the universe has a bigger plan for me. I mean, I didn't know that it was going to end up with me shooting my biggest budget music video in Paris and then meeting love of my life. But, you know, that's how the cookie crumbled in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just me seeing g I was like, this is a sign from the universe that I need to go up to him. And so I went up to him and I was like, yeah, I'm a music video director. Da, 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 da. And I had actually written four treatments for G-Eazy and there was like oh, a wow. running joke for music video treatments, like prior to, I could also talk about, uh, the treatment process if you'd like as well. Sure. Um, and Cause I think uh, the
0: treatment for a music video is so much different than for a feature film or for a series.
1: Even, yeah, definitely. Cause the music video versus commercials are so different. Yeah. So there's a running joke in the music video world where, um, you know, writing a treatment for g easy because like back in the day, they used to get like 50 f- directors to write a music video treatment for G. Wow. Like it would be ridiculous. And so, you know, when I met G, I was like, oh, I wrote all these f- videos for you. He's like, what songs? And one of the songs that I said never even came out. And so he got super excited. He was like, yo, take my number right now. Take my number right now. And I actually contacted G four times. He ended. Up, he lives in New York now. So you know, um, once I was in New York, I was like, "Yo, okay, this is my last night. What's up?" But I texted him four times before he answered me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then the fourth time he answered me, we met up in the studio. He played the song like within a second. We're like, there was a, you know, I love him so much. Like that's my boy. Um, you know, we just like we like vibed about all these things. And then you know, a month later, we're in Paris together. And I'm super grateful for that opportunity because I don't think a label would have ever hired me to do a black and white video in Paris. You know, I mean, they, first of all, they'd never hit me up for black and white because a label likes to pigeonhole you. Number two, um, you know, if you write, Hey, I want to shoot this on location in Paris, they'd be like, bye. You know? So I say all this to say that perseverance is key, you know? And also, like you said earlier, I think it was before we were in filming, like how I'm always going for it. It's like, if you see someone like the worst that would have happened, me going up to G, he would have been like, no, nah, I'm good. Sorry. You know, right. but like I tried and you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. So, like, listen, I met Sophia Coppola the other day um, oh, wow. at her. I went to see I'm in the DGA, which is amazing. Another, is amazing. Big, another big accomplishment of mine. And um, so they were doing a screening of Priscilla and I knew right away that I was going to go up to her. And she gave me her email address. Um, We'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. Um, But, you know, she even got like a little um, uh, like taken aback because I don't think she was expecting it. You know, it's like all these other people are like, can I take a photo with you? And I'm like, I don't give a about the photo. I just want your contact, you know? (laughs) Um, So yeah, I just feel like if you see someone in the wild and you have something to say to them, you know, make it more than just like, I'm a fan of you. Make it like, how can I work with you? I'd love to keep in touch with you. Like, you know, and they, you know, I met some dude from One Direction, Louis Tomlinson. He's like the mm-hmm. least famous One Directioner, right? Yeah. I don't really care about his music, but at the time, I was still like, hey, what's up? And this f- gave me the guy that drives his bus and was like, talk to my manager. And it's like, you know, so sometimes you're not going to always win in those conversations, but least you could do is try.
0: Yeah. And I think this Sophia Couple thing is very interesting. I love that you, that you are bringing that up about sort of how to approach someone who can help you out. So instead of being nervous or being making them uncomfortable or asking for a selfie, you know, you, the approach has to be a little different because for them, that's happened to them a thousand times that day. And for you, it's the best moment of your life. And it reminds me of this saying in business, which is that if you want uh, advice, ask for money, and if you want money, ask for advice. And and so this idea That's of cool. going up to Sophia Copeland saying, "How can I work with you? How can I stay in touch with you? I would just love to learn from you, get advice from you." You know, will probably turn into money for you. I, I can't remember this guy's name. He uh, he did the card counter. And I think he met Scorsese the same way. And now Scorsese will EP movies that he's written and directs. And That's I think, the, with
1: Sophia. I think, I think exactly. the
0: last one he did was the card counter. I could have the story wrong about how they met completely. So I need to be fact-checked okay. on that. But I just know that they have this relationship where people will think it's a, a Scorsese film, but it's this guy instead. Yeah, Paul Schrader.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm going to look the story up.
0: Yeah, shout out to Paul Schrader who made the card counter, which is very, 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 very underrated. And uh you should you should all go watch that has uh Oscar That's Isaac. Um Oscar Isaac is like uh you know, I'm I'm happily uh, heterosexual, but <laughs> very very That's you your know, boy crush. Very pretty close. I love pretty it. Pretty close, Roxy. Oh my goodness, but uh, but yeah, just well, it, you know, also it's it's talent, it's talent. I'm I'm highly highly attracted to talent. Like I have this theory that like there's a reason why men always fall in love with a girl with a guitar. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like, I feel like like
0: like guys can't resist that because um, and the guitars metaphor, it's it's a metaphor for having a talent,
1: totally. for being
0: on your for being on a journey that isn't about money or oh i'm miss independent i don't need you men want to feel needed trust me we want to feel needed but this idea that they need to get on the moving train that is you that's attractive it's like
1: exactly i can
0: hop on this train or not but that train is leaving the station like she's got something right Right. and then there's a lot of females that have nothing (laughs) and you're like this train ain't moving training movie. I don't know if I want to hop on this train or not.
1: Yeah. You know? A lot of men like that too. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, I. you're right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't pick sides here. a lot of people here.
1: like that. No, it's <laughs> it's fine. It took me a long time to realize that, to be honest. So that's a part of the spiritual Spielberg stuff for me is like also, you know, uh learning about yourself and like your relationship dynamics and like your traumas and, uh, why you're attracted to the people you're attracted to or why you fall into the cycles you fall into. And it's hard sometimes to like be a uh, successful, talented person because you also want a successful, talented person around you. And I'm, I'm not saying as a woman, I'm saying, I mean, actually, no, I think that for men, it's less important. I've heard, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but, um, but for a woman, there's some some
0: guys that just want their, their girlfriend at home.
1: Totally. Exactly. And
0: pregnant. All the time.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, actually, um, uh, I have an organizer. Like, my, uh, my as, as a creative with ADHD, mm-hmm. you're not always very organized. And so um, my, like, cleaning – I have, a, like, my cleaning lady, but he's really a 50-year-old gay man who um, – <laughs> <laughs> he'll come here. And one, <laughs> one time he told me <laughs> – one time he told me, he was like, you need a Mr. Mom. And I was uh, like, I don't want a Mr. Mom. I want to be a power couple. And I found my power couple. So I'm really happy. But I like, you know, congrats. for a long time I did believe that. I was like, fuck. Like, am I might is that am I just destined for that? But don't listen to the naysayers, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever you want is attainable.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there are some women that I think work really well with the Mr. Mom because totally. they want to stay in control. And of their destiny, of their future, of their direction, and if, and I think Britney Spears had that right, like, oh yeah, her husband like a Mister Mom. I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember. I hope I'm not. He still
1: is. He I has, hope he's like, not an a-
0: oligarch, and I just don't know it. But like, no, I
1: don't think, I, I, he is, I, think I, don't I, I think
0: he was like, you know, playing the background role, letting Britney, you know, totally. dance with the knives and be Britney, and you know, and then she was like, no, nah, I'm good, or maybe he was like, I'm good, I can better oh you're you talking know, about
1: the new guy Sam Ashgari or whatever no,
0: no I'm talking about the guy she just divorced
1: yeah Sam
0: yeah okay yeah that guy I don't know he could be an <laughs> oligarch I don't know
1: I, I could have a whole podcast podcast about pop culture to be honest but uh
0: yeah me, me well me too I would just say things that are just completely wrong but are my opinion so <laughs> it would be it would make it even more fun right there is a stereotype about music videos especially hip-hop music videos yes like how did you learn to control the set so that you actually got something quality out of the shoot and like what was the gap between like that very first video shoot and the last one you did
1: it's really interesting because I feel like yeah you asked me this earlier the thing with taking control and directing I don't want to be that First time director again. Ever. Like <laughs> I think about how stressed out I was and how like I didn't really know what I was doing or where I was going. And like I feel like at the beginning days of directing, you're definitely like a chicken without a head, you know. And like mm-hmm. I, at least for me, I remember thinking like a director is supposed to scream and a director is supposed to be angry and like da 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 da. But it's like no, I think I think it's really about putting in your ten thousand hours and like the more you do it, the more uh, you know, you know how to be calm. I think as a director, honestly, our main job is we're the captain of the ship, right? So we're supposed to be the calm ones. Like let the producer freak out. Let your AD freak out. You cannot freak out. Cause if you freak out, the whole thing will be a mess, you know? Yeah. And it took me, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how long it took me, maybe like a couple of years, I would say, honestly, to like really, get that down. Um, I didn't mention this earlier, but I, I started with my ex-boyfriend. We were directing together. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, the the um, gap in between when we were directing together and when I started directing alone, that was eight months of me not working because nobody would hire me because they were like, oh, well, what have you done on your own? And so when I started directing again by myself, I think that um that was really like a new chapter for me in terms of like, I don't – I think that that, like, eight-month gestation period of me not directing – I remember the first time I was back on set, I was so nervous, and I was like, can I even do this on my own? And, you know, we rented out – it was the Neon Trees video, Feel Good. And we Mm -hmm. rented out the whole hotel, uh, the Saguaro Hotel in Palm Springs, and it was, like, a huge production. It's funny because I feel like I – once I started directing on my own, I actually had full control over the set, whereas directing with a man, um, you know, because – there really is that power dynamic of like, well, he's the man, so I'm going to talk to him. And like, I think, I think people do it without like, I don't even think, I think it's so like subconscious, you know? And so I couldn't even really own my like director control role when I was directing with him, I feel. So once I started directing alone, it was like, okay, well I'm the, I'm the person controlling the ship and, So I think just like knowing your role is super important. And I think the more you do it, the more you learn, you know, and a big part of it is trusting your team, you know, because like as a director, you are not supposed to be the one. Like, of course, there's director DPs. Don't get me wrong. But it's like if you're directing, you're and shooting and producing and editing, like directing is such a team sport that like you have to have people that you really trust to man or woman, their department, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, So yeah, your team is everything as well.
0: Yeah. And it's the number one thing. So I was on a panel recently and there was a bunch of independent filmmakers, first time filmmakers, and they were all saying, if I had to do this again, I would have listened more. I would have listened more. I would listen more. It just came up so many times. I would have trusted my team more, trusted my team more. And so I'm hearing what they're putting down, right? Like, I I get it. Like, yes, you were trying to control the whole thing so that your vision came through the other side of your shoot, even though, you know, the thing you write is different than the thing you shoot is different than the thing you edit, right? Like, I know a lot of filmmakers who are like top 5% screenwriters and bottom 5% editors, and therefore their movies aren't good. So- it's, it's a, it's a tough thing or, or it can work in any number of ways. You could be a bottom 5%, bottom 10% storyteller through the camera. Cause that's what the director's doing. They're directing the actors and maybe you're not getting the performances you should have got from those performers. And maybe when you're working and sort of scouting the location with your DP, or if you are the DP, like you're not, your setups aren't good. And so the way you're telling the story through the camera doesn't work. And therefore, when you get to the edit, your editor's frustrated or there's not enough B-roll, there's not enough film. Like in a music video, you're trying to like nail it, like almost like you're Hype Williams. Mm -hmm. And and like in a movie, you need the extra stuff. So your editor has a bunch of different, you know, things to play with. You might forget that you have to get all the reaction shots. You might forget that you need plates for everything so that you have – a possibility to change backgrounds or to use VFX if you need to. Like these are just things that happen in independent film when you're shooting and you're like, damn, my movie didn't come out like I wanted to. Okay. Could have been, did I write well? Did I shoot? Well, did I edit? Well, and did I try to take too much control? I think though, the one thing they didn't say is what you just said, which Mm -hmm. is that, yeah, you need to listen to them and take their suggestions but they also are looking for a leader
1: exactly like,
0: it is your set mm-hmm. you and the producers you could argue maybe the EP as well if it's not an ivory tower EP like right. it's your set you're in control it's your job to keep everybody safe it's your job to to you, you know make sure that you know the intimacy coordinator is there it's your job to honestly to shepherd the film from what you're doing all the way to the end, like it's your job to make sure the film was great. Right. And so there's, it's both. It's like, it's, it is a tightrope You have to walk. Right.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, I'm really grateful that I started in music videos because, um, and I totally fell into them. It was like, not my plan at all. My plan was to do documentaries and work advice and, you know, but you did a bunch I, of
0: docs in Central America and South America, right?
1: I did one documentary that I'm working on right now. That was the editing session I was in before this. Um, it's called "The Age of Aquarius." Hopefully, it will be on the festival. I'm honestly, realistically, I think it'll be on the festival circuit in 2025. Okay. Um, I shot it in 2012. Um, I let it rest. I came back to it a million times, but then last year I just you know invested in it with the editors and like I have a professional post house working on it now and. I think it was, the story was meant to be told now. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I see that all the time. I mean, it's funny. my I have such a fugazi setup going on right now. I have like a <laughs> I, my ring light is on a bunch of books and my laptop's on a bunch of books. But uh, one of the book that I'm looking at right now is The Art of Avatar, The Way of Water. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Cameron is my hero. I love him. And, yeah. Shout um, out to
0: Jim Cameron. He's a goat.
1: Yeah, Jimbo Beam. Anyways, mm-hmm. so... Um, he, Avatar, the land of Pandora came to him in a dream 25 years before he ended up making the film. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that that's something to remind yourselves too, is that like film is a long process. And so it's funny because this is something I shot 11 years ago and it wasn't meant to be made then. Like the story actually came 11 years later. Like the original yeah. story that I set out to, to document couldn't have been told without eleven years going by, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 I love the title by the way, too. And it cashes in your promise to to give us alliteration.
1: You oh, I mean? yes, that too. Of, I thought you Age were going Ag- to say spiritual Spielberg.
0: <laughs> well, also spiritual Spielberg, but also Age Age of Aquarius has the alliteration that you love that you promised us in the beginning. And exactly. I think, yeah, I, I love that. And for people who don't know what that reference is, it, it references the time period between the birth of Jesus and I think 20, 2150. So, so between really? the birth of Jesus and twenty one fifty is the age of Aquarius, uh, which is the water pitcher thing. And like, if you think about like uh, astrology and you see that character that like holds the water, that's the, water the age breath. of 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 Aquarius. I think.
1: Well, that's really interesting because um, oh, that's... Uh, oh, not or the
0: Pisces. the age of Pisces. Wait, we're in the age yeah. of Pisces, right? And then the age of Aquarius is after that. So, it's the yeah. future. Sorry. Yeah.
1: No, 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 no. no. It's okay. Um, I'm going to look into what you're talking about because yeah. um, I, the what my documentary is saying is that the age of Aquarius... Um, well, I don't know if it necessarily started on December 21st, 2012, but the end of the Mayan calendar was December 21st, 2012, right. and so... There are historians that say that that the age of Pisces ended that day and that the age of Aquarius mm-hmm. began. After, but um, you know, the ages, these like the, the age of Aquarius is a 26,000 year period. So like, what's a 1,000 years, you know? Like maybe it did start when Jesus came through. I don't I don't know.
0: Yeah, you know? it's 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 a, it's all you're right though. It is astrology and the Mayan calendar is different, but it's all astrology based. It's all star based. So basically, if you look at the story of Moses, Moses didn't want people to worship a false idol. And there are, you know, images of him even in movies like slamming down um the, the false idol of the bull. And the reason it's a bull or a ram is because that is what comes before the age of Pisces. And and he was trying to tell his people. You are in a new age now. You're in a new age. You're in the, and that's why everything is represented by fish because that's the astrological symbol for the age of, of Pisces is the fish. And that's why we have the Jesus fish.
1: You're bringing another element.
0: Yeah. So Moses was trying to say, Hey, stop worshiping the last age. We're in the new age. And then in the Bible where it says, follow uh, the man with the water, in upstairs to the new home It's something like that i can't remember the exact mm-hmm. words he's talking about the man with the picture that leads you into the new age of aquarius and that's why in the bible jesus not joseph but from the first testament but jesus says i'll be with you until the end of the age because then there'll be time for a new god
1: wait so when is the end of the age for for jesus
0: I thought 20. it was 2150, but I need, I might need producer at least to double check it for me or something. I, mean, yeah, I think it's 2150.
1: No, I mean, you honestly gave me like a new, um, a new section of my documentary to check into. So thank you. This is <laughs> why we
0: do this, Roxy. Roxy yeah, this exactly. is why we have these conversations. It's no, so much fun. It. It's, it's where we're at. So let me ask you this. Cause we have this rule called no mercenaries. And okay. obviously you have to hire new people, especially like, on set, like when you have PAs or like uh, people who are going to do like different jobs on set, you might have different teams, national team, LA team, for example, or Mm -hmm. some different things like that, depending on how many locations you have, it's just cheaper than like packing everybody up and flying them to the next location. But you do need to have your core team in place. So this transition from music videos to narrative filmmaking, how are you going about building your team and and who do you have in place so far
1: well that's really interesting so um in general like i definitely have my core team but i feel like um my core team kind of shifts around sometimes because you know sometimes people aren't available Mm -hmm. so then you go to another person and like you know depending on the project whatever um but my one of my core dps taylor randall i mean he just did um he's like tyler perry's core dp recently too he did a bunch of like tyler perry's uh, recent movies. Um, and so, you know, he'll definitely be shooting, um, you know, a feature for me and, um, I'm, I'm doing my short film. Ideally I'm going to be shooting by the end of the year. Um, I'm, mm. I'm in pre pro actually I'm a meeting tomorrow for it. So I'm super excited. Um, my rep for music videos, Missy Galanita, she um, owns Hound Content. Um, she's going to be helping me EP it. So I think that, I think that a lot of us, I mean, some of us don't, It shocks me, but there are many music video commercial people that are like, "I hate that world, and I love my short form content." Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. But like, I love music videos so much that do I like worry? Am I going to love shooting narrative as much? Honestly, a little bit. But like, I think we can do all of it. You know, like Francis Lawrence and Spike Jones are like my like biggest uh,
0: love, Spike Jones.
1: Yeah. So Spike Jones started in music videos. I mean skateboarding videos and music videos but you know and then yeah I just his concepts are amazing and so because they're really heady you know like that's kind of the spiritual Spielberg thing too it's like really heady concepts like that anyways um so yeah a lot of my team will be coming with me but I think you know even within music videos and commercials like um I'm supposed to be shooting this commercial that's more fashion driven and Mm -hmm. I'm gonna bring on a DP that works in beauty because the way she lights and the way she does things, it's like, it's really specific to that, you know? So I think that, um, I think your core team, like depending, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's almost like a Ferris wheel. Cause like every, except that nobody comes off the Ferris wheel, <laughs> right. you know, it's just like, depending on what the stop is, maybe they're going to come with you. Or maybe they're just going to stick around and you keep them in the Rolodex and then you'll like turn back around to them eventually. Right. But yeah, we'll see, because I'm I'm really starting this now in terms of like um I'm just going for it more than ever now, in terms of like I don't want to sleep anymore.
0: Yeah, and yeah, yeah. A part I'm of exactly that
1: trying. a part of that is saying no. You know, so as I was talking about earlier, um with so even between music videos and commercials, it's so different. Like for a commercial, you're triple bid most of the time. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, they put you up against two other directors. Um, I just did a Marlboro commercial, which was, like, so amazing. That's what I was in Nashville for, actually. Uh, We shot on the tobacco farms.
0: Yeah, we we shot in
1: Hopkinsville, Kentucky.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, cool.
1: You're familiar with Hopkinsville. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so so, um, I was there for a week. Um, It's, like, I'm so excited for this to come out, except the sad thing about working with tobacco is that it's, like, because it's so regulated, it only lives on their website, so you can't really be, like, promoting it so much. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, I bring that up because so I was triple bid initially against um two other directors that are like my I love them. Like, I don't know them personally, but like, I love their work. And so mm-hmm. when they called me and they were like, actually, f- the other people, it's just you. I was like, it really like made me like feel like it, that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, shit. Like, because, you know, I have days where I'm like, oh, I'm not where I want to be. Da-da-da-da-da. And so it was like when they told me, like no, forget them. It's you. I was like, it made me, it kind of like, again, was one of those affirmations of the universe that like, you're doing well, like stop worrying basically. Um, but I bring that up to say like, okay, with that situation, like they just picked me and that was amazing. I didn't have to like put together anything, but most of the time, um, you have to put, you go against two other people and commercials are super transparent because, you know, you know that they tell you, even if they don't tell you who you're bidding against, it's easy to find out who you're bidding against. And, um, you know that it's just three people in the running. So they don't really waste too many people's time, not to mention commercials have more money. So with commercials, like, usually the production company that hires you is going to give you someone to help you write the treatment and someone to help you source images for the treatment, you know? Whereas music videos, you could write a music video against 15 other people. They won't tell you who it is. They won't tell you that you didn't get the job uh no one's paying you for your time and no one's giving you a team to help you write it so if you want to hire people to help you you're gonna have to pay them you know and so it's the wild wild west um i don't know if you're familiar with the fact that they call music videos wild wild west but um (laughs) it's the wild wild west which is like yeah it's great because our creativity gets to run amok but there's the downside of the wild wild west which is like okay well you know Just as much as there's no rules in your creativity, there's no rules in the way they're playing the game either. So I say that I bring this up to say like about the saying no. It's like I have – my mom likes to say that I've like written five music. – I've written like five feature films at this point with the amount of time that I've spent writing music video treatments that never get made, you know? And it's like – yeah, and so, you know, it's, it's really shitty. It's like, I almost prefer watching a music video that gets made with a treatment that was better than mine because I then I understand why I'm not chosen, you know?
0: Right, yeah, but yeah, But it's yeah.
1: like, there's so many factors too. Like, I've written so many treatments that don't get made because they never put out the song or they decide to not do a video for it. So, like, sometimes it's not even about you. It's that they don't even end up making anything at all. But then other times, it's like, I watch videos and I'm like, they literally just shot them in a warehouse with four quasars. And I like wrote this, <laughs> I wrote this like amazing treatment in the wilderness, like, you know, like with all this VFX, I don't know, I'm making a scenario up, but like that has happened many times where I watch the video and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I hate that. I It's just like, why didn't they choose you? You know? And so I think that also to be in music videos specifically, I mean, in anything, but in music videos, it's like, you have to be so thick skinned where it's like the amount of rejection you have to face all the time. Is so crazy. And so this year, I'm kind of just, I've had the power of no. Cause I think for a long time, I've been like, I was very like, you know, hopeful and just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know what any opportunity is gonna bring. Yes, 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 yes. And then you get to a point where you're like, wait a minute, I'm spending all this time on other people's dreams or like other people's focus points. And then I'm losing sight of my own dreams. Like I have like five feature films that I want to make. And then I have two TV shows and then I have this documentary. Like I have so many things that I'm cooking up in my head yeah, and I've yeah. had the same, I've had the same to do list for like three years because uh, like, and that's why this year, I I'm
0: like,
1: thank you. I'm glad that I'm not alone <laughs> to be yeah. honest. And so this year I'm finally like, I'm not letting 2023 go by without number one. Like, thank God I have this documentary. Like I feel like I'm really finally at a place where like, I put some money into it. I'm going to try to get a grant for the rest of it, you know, but like that's on a train. I'm going to make my short film happen. Like I'm not going into 2024 without doing that, you know? And so it's just all part of the process basically, yep. you know?
0: But you're right. When you have a bunch of things that are sitting there waiting to be done, it starts to eat away at you and it, it keeps you up at night,
1: quite yep. frankly.
0: And It actually leads you to just all sorts of weird, bad habits because you're trying to distract yourself from the fact that you have those things that you're supposed to be doing, but they're so big and so hard that you sometimes don't know where to start. And I think just the power of no, like you said, is so important because I think maybe that's step one. Step one is saying no to the shit that is keeping you from doing the things you really want to do.
1: Yep. Yeah. You nailed it on the head. It's so true
0: little bit of focus in and a little bit of, um, I'm going to wake up every day. It's like tomorrow you wake up and I am, I am Roxy, the filmmaker. Exactly. I am Chris, the producer, you know, like what, like, this is how I wake up in the morning and I will work with that intentionality throughout the day to, to make this happen. So,
1: yeah. yeah. And I think we have to give ourselves deadlines too, you mm-hmm. know, cause it's like, I feel like, yeah, like, you know, your your to-do list ends up becoming the same for three years because you're just like, yeah, I'll get to it eventually, i get to it eventually. And then, like, you get a music video treatment, and then you get a commercial treatment. And, and, you know, the possibility of getting the treatment, it's such a gamble and a risk of, like, well, I might get this job, and I might make $10,000, or if I don't get the job, I just wasted five days of my life, and I made no money, and that was five days that I could have spent potentially making more money if my film blew off and then like I became you know the next Oscar winner that I am in my in my head you know so it's like but I'm at a point now where I'm like I'm being really intentional with the jobs I say yes to and you kind of you kind of like understand now when they're um when they're kind of toying you you know but I do think in the beginning I do think in the beginning it is really important to just say yes to everything Mm -hmm. because you're young you're starting out you never know what's gonna hit I mean some of my most cult following big videos have were like not big budgets at all, you know, but it's like, you never know what song is going to take off or what. And I think also like in the beginning, I don't know if you have the same uh, issue, but it's like, it was a lot easier to make things on no money before. (laughs) Now I'm like, (laughs) I don't know. I shut down Washington square park and we made a whole video with like a hundred extras. on like $4,000 and I'm like, how the hell did I do that? Like that was like a $150,000 concept right there. You know, like,
0: yeah, it's like the little Dickie concept to me. I compare it to that. Cause when no one knew who knew who little Dickie was, he could like knock on people's door and like use their house for the music video. Like he has stories of like, I just knocked on everybody's door until they said yes. And I can use their mansion. But now that he has Dave and he's like a, a much bigger star and he's known nobody will do it for free because everybody knows he can pay. And it, it and what happens is your taste gets better. Your expectations get higher as you do better yeah. work, your desire to do better work that's different goes up. But then also people start to know who you are just basically by the way you roll, like the yeah. way you roll up to a location. They're like, no, they got to pay me. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to be a sucker here. Why am I giving? Right. You know why am I giving a successful artist this location for free when when they can totally afford it like so there is a lot of that that I think that that sort of happens you know in between but yeah it, it's a it's a great point that that you're making it's like I that rawness days. yeah your your ability to be um Casey nice it you know what I mean just to roll up with your camera and like shoot what you want to shoot yeah you always like- want to keep that but even he is like now he's Casey, and like people know like he's coming. Like it's it, right. it gets it gets strange, it gets difficult. But I will say this you forgive me for asking this, but you're you just turned 30, right? You're
1: 30, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm 31 now, but yes,
0: 30, 31? Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, I thought. I'm
1: on the other side I'm, of 30 now.
0: <laughs> the only reason I ask you that is because you you have so much wisdom, oh, thank you, and, and you have so much time. To get where you're going, so so I know you're going to win, and this has just been an incredible conversation. And I just have really enjoyed your energy and enjoyed your input and your willingness to share and be honest and raw, and again have that wisdom as somebody who is just like 31 years old. So, like, whole thing is in front of you. Is there anything you want to say to this audience? Is there anything? Any advice you want to give them is there anything you want to share with them about yourself anything they should hear before we
1: Well, I wrap guess this thing on out? that note, I guess on the note that you're saying, um I struggle with this a lot and I it's like I, I you know, I go cuz you know, I'm working with 22-year-olds all day long, right? Or like, mm-hmm. you know, these people that are young and so you know, I struggle with the like thinking that i'm old and like you know all my time's up but then i i have to tell myself like like some days i feel really young you know like yeah i've been i've been on the feeling young train recently but i'll have my days and um you know i think that it's never too late and we're with like we are always as young as our mindset you know like my mom started um, becoming a professional, you know, she's always played with photography and Photoshop and all things, but, you know, she was a working woman and, you
0: mm-hmm. know, she
1: became like more professional with her art at 50 years old. At 70, she just had, um, you know, an exhibit at the Marriott, the Westin Hotel in Warsaw. Oh. And now, like all the Marriott's in the world want to have her art there. I mean, not all, but like, you know, she's going to do Prague next and then they, they're talking about Brazil. And like, basically, like my mom is in like the Renaissance of her career at 69 years old.
0: Shut and- up Warsaw.
1: Shout out to Orsa, yeah. Wow. And, you know, they that's actually nice. have a really poppin' art community there. Absolutely. Um, follow yeah. my mom on Instagram. F <laughs> me. Follow her, Ladinia, <laughs> L-A-R-Y-N-I-A. But, yeah, I just say that to say that, you know, my mom was a super big inspiration to me in that way of, like, you know, we are all only as young as our mindset. So, you know, just keep on going after what you want. Life is too short. Um, and, yeah, that's it, really.
0: I think that's a beautiful, beautiful place for us to stop and know we can't forget about you. Tell us where we can find you on the internet, find you on social media and maybe see some of your work.
1: Okay. You can find me at Senora Directora. So S-E-N-O-R-A, director with an A, Senora Directora. Mm. And then um, my Instagram, I mean, that is my Instagram. (laughs) That's my Instagram and my TikTok. Um, My website is just my name, RoxanaBaldovin.com. So, yeah. And also follow me on YouTube. Actually, check out my hosting, like, comment, subscribe, and share my YouTube. Um, I think you could find that with Senora Directora, too. I'm not sure, but I think if you type that in, you will find me.
0: So. I think you're correct, because I subscribed to you earlier this afternoon.
1: Thank you. Are you so, bon- You're Bonsai Creative, right?
0: Bonsai Creative, but on YouTube, we're the Make It Podcast.
1: Oh, I haven't checked my YouTube today. I should go do that. Yeah,
0: so on that, and then... the. Uh, account I use to like sort of troll around YouTube is called is called handsome Chrissy, which is an old college name of, <laughs> of, of mine, I um, love it. which is hilarious, but true. And I've kept it all these I years. It. I, yeah, I love it. Well, we all were stupid. We had like these names that had to end in like a vowel sound or a Y. Okay. And so like, you know, the guy I do this with Nick, uh, who, who I wish could have made it day, but couldn't, we called him Nicky you know, in college. So Nikki and okay. or Nikki because the last name is Bugs. So yeah, Chrissy and Nikki, the chocolate studs. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're
1: not kidding. That's the next <laughs> and, podcast. That's the late night podcast.
0: Yeah. And so every, all of our friends, like we had a friend named Shannon, but we called him Deucey. Like we just... Everything had to sort of cause he was number two. And so we had to end we had to end everything in a Y or an E or whatever. I love and it. Whenever it fit. And so, you know, I just accepted Chrissy um, with a lot of pride because everybody loved calling me that. So it was all good. So if you see somebody that's subscribed to you named Handsome Chrissy, it's me.
1: I'll know it's you. Perfect. Yep,
0: there you go. I just shared that. I don't think I've ever said that on this podcast before. So now everybody knows. I'm okay with I that. I love it. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Anytime, (laughs) Roxy. (laughs) This has been a blast. I hope we get to do this again. And I just want to, yeah, I just want to follow your progress, uh, watch you you make your way in this world. I cannot wait wait to watch this documentary. If you make features, I'll be there. If you make a short film, take it to AFM, sell it, make a feature out of that. Like, I just think um, sky's the limit for you. And hey, I'm going to do the same. So if I have projects that that I want somebody's honest feedback on, you're on the list of people I'm going to send that stuff to.
1: Have you made a feature film?
0: I've made three feature films.
1: I need to watch them.
0: We have one called, they're all in worldwide distribution.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah. So one is called Another Version of You. And you can watch that. Directed by Maki Dapp. He's the guy I primarily make movies with. And then- um, there's we did Kate Upton's last feature film but it also has Mike Vogel in it and Ted Welch and Christine Woods who are all super pros and great oh and my god
1: okay adult,
0: yeah that's called adult interference and it's like a 90s comedy because they don't make those anymore okay and and then we had a horror film slash thriller I think it's more of a thriller called all light will end and okay. uh, so for those of you that listen to this for Halloween go check out all light will end it'll be uh, fit right into your Halloween mix and that did a two year run on Netflix. So it was a, it was a successful
1: oh movie my for God. Us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, for sure. And then we've done a bunch of short films and a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, it's been a good run so far, but the, the best stuff is coming up.
1: Of course. It always is.
0: And so I, I'm totally with you and your mom. Like you never have to grow out of, I mean, George Clooney didn't become a star It's like 46 or 48. Are like, so serious? yeah, yeah. He was just like a, he was like a soap guy, like a sitcom guy.
1: Oh, that's true. Like he was, he was acting, kinda, but he wasn't a kinda, superstar yet.
0: Yeah, it's kinda same with Morgan Freeman. Like they, they both yeah. called on super late. Samuel L. Jackson, I think, called Harrison on Harrison
1: Ford too. Yeah. You're right.
0: Because yeah, I, think I this, started
1: acting as well. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a star.
0: Yeah, So there you go. So you can you can do it. It just matters like what is your taste level? What is your work ethic? What is your discipline to get up and do it every day and sort of live and walk in those shoes? So you've inspired me to keep going. I hope uh, the same is true. And for those listening to the podcast, you can subscribe to us at uh, Apple or on Spotify or anywhere you listen to find podcasts. <laughs> you can reach out to us at contact at film. And we will answer 100% of those emails. You can find Nick and talk to him at Nick at bonsai.film. If you have any questions for why he was not here in this conversation, <laughs> uh, you can reach out to me on X formerly known as Twitter at flame in your heart, or you can just search for Chris Barkley at this point, And I will come right up and uh, I'm a fun follow on X. So follow me and then ask me any questions you want there. And I will answer 100% of those. And of course, on any social, you can find us at underscore Bonsai Creative. And we answer those DMs as well. And so with that, I will leave us with the credo. The credo? The credo. So we we end every one of these, Roxy, with a credo. And the credo is be better, be creative, be engaged. Thank you for listening, everybody. Go follow us on YouTube. Subscribe. And Roxy... I'll talk to you soon. Make sure you follow
1: around. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day.
0: You too. This has been a blast.
1: Yes. Bye, Chris.
0: Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. For more information about this episode, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts by searching for Make It. Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore Bonsai Creative, and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. In addition, you can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast, If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we are trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please consider supporting our Patreon page. We spend a combined 35 hours a week producing each episode. We do this with a small team of go-getters that are passionate about film and connecting people with similar interests across the globe and we have lots of goodies in store for our supporters including bonus content exclusive swag and discounts and freebies to private film events if that sounds like something you can get behind donations start at only five dollars monthly and of course If you're looking to take a big step toward your film's financial success, go to www.banzai.film and click on services to explore our unrivaled approach to film marketing. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.